feel good Friday and I hope you're well where you are. I think I finally got this Facebook live video producer technology sorted out and despite the um, red circle telling you not to talk, you should start talking because otherwise you just sit there making faces at yourself. So I'm now figuring out uh, a new platform in which to talk to my friends and uh, family around the world and I thought I would do something on a little bit more of a serious note for Feel Good Friday and this um, is about risk and um, why I um, consider myself an expert to talk about risk is that um, in a few months I will turn 45 and for the last 20 years I have been um, managing projects all over the world so I'm a global project manager and I've had the um, pleasure of managing projects in many different countries, including South Africa, Brazil, China, Vietnam, um, Europe, France, for instance, Spain, Italy. And so I understand a little bit, a lot about planning for risk and risk mitigation planning. And why that's really important when you're a project manager is at the start of a project, you have to sit down and think about all of the possible things that could go wrong from the smallest thing to the biggest thing. And then you have to figure out ways to mitigate those risks. So some of the things would be um, looking at the probability of the risk occurring, you know, how probable is it that the hotel will burn down and we might all die? How probable is it that um, we might have an aeroplane go down and lose some of our people? How probable is it that there will be an earthquake in Tokyo whilst we're running an event there and we um, have to stop the event? So these are all risks that I have been involved in planning and mitigating in the past and looking at the impact and probability of risks and planning um, specific steps um, around them. And, you know, at the moment, you know, um, crisis management is a very important part of risk planning because if there is a crisis, you have to kind of know what your response plans are. And that's very much the state of the world at the moment in terms of COVID-19. We're in a state of crisis management globally, not just on a micro level, but globally we're in a huge state of crisis management, which is why we're getting regular updates um, on the news all the time, which is why there's daily statistics being reported and which is why um, you know the leaders of each country are um, every day updating us on what their plans and steps and actions are. So that's kind of, you know, the um, biggest form of crisis management probably that we have seen in many of our lifetimes in terms of a global response to a crisis. You know, last year where I live, we had a massive flood and we had crisis management going on 24 seven over the course of several weeks. And that was frightening. And I did a lot of my own risk um, management and planning around that time and prepared our home for flooding and left several days before the flood arrived because I am also um, a worst case scenario biased person. So I often predict the worst case scenario happening before it actually does, which is also part of my training in risk management and crisis management. So I've been thinking a lot about that over the last few days in terms of crisis management for um, both COVID, but also in respect of daily life, because every day we take risks as people um, and as adults we take a certain amount of risk 
And I'm a fairly risk averse person. Um, and as a parent, I am very safety conscious and I'm there and I tend to be a little bit more of a, a helicopter parent when it comes to safety with my children. Now, there's a few very good reasons for that. The first thing is that um, it took me a long time to make them and it cost me a lot of money. So <laughs> I don't want to see them um, damaged or injured in any way, shape or form. So I'm very much, you know, thinking about risks and I'm a very visual person. So I often see them injuring themselves before it's happened or it's likely that it might happen. And I jump in and try and mitigate that risk. So, you know, that's how I kind of live my life on a day to day basis. But also my eldest daughter had a very significant um, choking condition when she was little. So she would choke all the time for no reason. So I was on a constant state of high alert thinking about um, her choking. And obviously when she was choking, I'd have to, um, to manage that situation and to save her life on a fairly regular basis. So um, that's kind of a frightening risk that I was living with day to day. And when she was one and a half, I went back to work. And interestingly, I was managing a project in Tokyo and traveling to Tokyo regularly where there's a high risk of earthquakes on a regular basis. So I was planning earthquake risks at work. Hello, Rachel. I hope you're well. And planning um, earthquakes at work and managing choking at home. And then um, in order for me to be able to travel back and forth to Tokyo and to feel confident that she would be well cared for and hence be alive, um, I then spent another exorbitant amount of money to employ someone to um, help me take care of her when I wasn't at home on a one-on-one -on -one basis because I assessed the risk that if I put her to um, a childminding place or a centre where there was not a one-to-one -one ratio, she would have a much higher risk of being left unattended and I couldn't take that risk. So therein lies you know another decision that i had to make about planning for a risk to spend a lot more money caring for my child in order to enable me to continue working to for various reasons so you know those are kind of daily risks and lifestyle risks that i've had to assess and make judgment calls on over the last few years and um, she's five and a half now she's very happy healthy and bouncy and i don't necessarily um, go about my day with the same level of anxiety for those risks. And interestingly, in planning for the earthquake in Tokyo, we had an earthquake in Tokyo as I was delivering the project. So uh, I had to go into a little bit of crisis management mode during that time, but we had planned and prepared for it and we Im um, mitigated the impact of it. So, you know, there's lots of things that you can do. So why I'm talking about this is because there was a public health emergency declared on the 30th of January about COVID. And I started talking about mitigating um, the effects of COVID um, in early February um, on my Facebook lives when I started talking about building our immunity and taking care of ourselves, etc. And at the same time, again, in my hometown, there was rock concerts, Elton John was in town, there was kickoff football stadium events, there was all these events going on, where, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of people were all gathered in the same place. And I made two decisions at that time that I wasn't going to attend large public events, first of all, and second of all, I was not going to consume 
um, alcohol during this time because it lowers your immunity and I was going to do whatever I could to build up my immunity. So those are the two commitments I made to myself um, in early February after the public um, health emergency was declared in January. Then um, obviously as this escalated and escalated and more and more countries became um, consumed with the epidemic, then we started having lockdowns and so on and so forth. So not, um, I firmly agree with everything that's happened in terms of the procedures that we have been under in terms of lockdown and um, measures and controls to um, help support us during this time. And I think that as much as we can, we've done everything to mitigate the risks. Um, the reality is that um, you know COVID started off um, potential. Well, they're looking very closely at one specific wet market, which is a live animal market where you buy live animals and they're slaughtered um, in China in Wuhan. So whilst we can all sit back and think you know the Chinese are responsible for Wuhan, the reality is that the live produce that goes to that market comes from many different countries. So in a way we can't just sit and blame another nation. And what I have been um, watching with curiosity and also humour, there's so many funny um, memes at the moment about, um, you know, we're all sitting at home drinking more and eating more and, um, you know, we're after COVID, we're going to be going out not fitting into our clothes. And there was this funny thing on Facebook yesterday where these huge, very overweight women were getting out of a car to go to a party and they couldn't get out of the car. They were dragged because they'd got so much weight and the, you know, this tagline was um, our first party after COVID. Now, whilst these are very funny to look at, they also make me feel a little bit sad, to be honest, because, um, you know, the, one of the leading causes of cancer in the world is obesity. And, um, and then it's also to do with environmental factors such as air pollution, sun pollution and, um, and other lifestyle choices that we make. So I wanted to do a little bit of analysis on statistics myself today to kind of look at the risks because um, 18 months ago I decided, not decided, but started to feel that my risk of getting cancer was very high because I was obese according to my BMI of 30 and I was living a relatively unhealthy life for many years in terms of sedentary, not exercising, not choosing um, good diet um, and, you know, putting in your and, and also relaxing with alcohol. So I was putting myself at risk every day and I decided I wanted to reduce that risk of getting cancer. So I decided to change my lifestyle. And in doing so, I created my own little cheat sheet for cancer. So on this side, it's got cancer causing things. And then I've got some substitutes down the side. And I created this last year and distributed it at a public event that I attended. And it's been a really helpful reminder and checklist for me to go, OK, well, what are the risks of cancer and what are the risks that I'm taking every day at home in my lifestyle and in and what I expose my children to in terms of toxins etc and a lot of toxins in our environment cause cancer. So just to give you an idea some stats and facts that I've taken this morning off the internet. So, so total deaths globally with COVID-19 at the moment is 131,037 that's globally. In Australia we've had 63 deaths, in New Zealand we've now had nine 
In the US, 25,800. In Ireland, 444. In the UK, 12,868. So that's 130,000 um, deaths globally of 2 million cases, which equates to 7%. Now in Australia, um, the cases versus the deaths is 1%. So globally, the deaths versus the cases is around 7%. Australia and New Zealand at the moment, we're sitting at 1%. Now, interestingly, so let's, let's take the line in the sand. As of this moment, 131,000 people globally have died from COVID. Now, the reverse statistics to that is cancer. So statistics for cancer globally per year deaths, 9.6 million deaths per year due to cancer. So 136 people die every day from Australia in can from cancer. And so far due to COVID, we've had a total of 63 deaths. Um, in the UK, there is 165,000 deaths in cancer. That's 450 every day. In Ireland, um, 9,000 people die every year from cancer. And so if that's 30% of deaths, it's the biggest killer. One person dies every hour in Ireland from cancer. In the USA, 600,000 people will die from cancer in 2020. That's predicted. That's 1,660 people dying each day of cancer in America in 2020. Now, more shockingly to that is that um, New Zealand, despite its 9%, 9 cases of deaths from COVID, New Zealand has one of the largest rates of deaths by cancer globally in the world. Over 8,600 people per year in New Zealand die of cancer, including bowel cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer and skin cancer. Most of um, those which are due to lifestyle factors. So whilst New Zealand's response has been phenomenal in terms of crisis management for um, COVID, their long-term strategy for cancer um, is also is you know something that should also be considered, as with us here in Australia. And how do we go about doing that? Well, it's really about education because every day we take risks about what we eat, what we do, how long we sit down, you know, what lifestyle choices we make. And it's very funny to, to, to well, it's not funny, it makes me a bit sad that um, the sales of alcohol have increased a lot during this time. That's a fact. It's reported in the media and various other sources. Um, and so we're all consuming more alcohol whilst we wait out this crisis. But the reality is while we're sitting and waiting out the crisis and the risks of COVID, we're doing more risk and damage to our health right now in our own home every day based on the decisions and the choices that we make. Now, um, also on the radio this week, I've heard that there's um, new cases of Ebola virus emerging in Democratic Republic of Congo. So in the DRC, let's call it the DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo, it's hard to say about, between 2014 and 2016, um, 30,000 people died of the Ebola virus and the um, mortality rate with Ebola is uh, 50%. Mortality rate for COVID at the moment globally is 7%, whereas Ebola is 50%. 
So there's new cases every day um, in the DRC. So this is something to be very mindful of in terms of other viruses around the world as well. So just to kind of put those things into perspective. So really my goal of this live was to talk about risk and um, in respect of our own day-to-day -day life. We've all been very accountable in doing our part to stop the spread of the COVID virus and, you know, well done on the efforts that you and everyone else has made with that. But the, um, what we can do now more as a society and more as individuals is be accountable for um, our health in terms of other illnesses and diseases that we expose ourselves to on a daily basis, such as cancers. So I really want to just share that message that on Feel Good Friday, if you're going into the weekend, you know, think about what you're buying, what you're eating, what you have in your household, um, what risks you're taking every day with your health in terms of sun cream, smoking, alcohol, eating, drinking, and really like start to think of those things as risks that you expose yourself to as well. And what, what are you accountable for when it comes to that? Because Statistics are 9.6 million people globally have cancer, 136 people die each day in Australia from cancer, then you know we all need to start being more accountable for ourselves in that regard and taking accountability for your own health and well-being, not just in times of pandemic and crisis, will ensure that you know um, we start to minimize some of the effects of these other illnesses that are um, you know also, um, epidemics around the world. So that's really my Feel Good Friday message. I'm sorry it's a little bit more heavy. Um, I do appreciate that um, having some cake and having a glass of wine is a great way to wind down on a Friday. Um, I've managed to go for a run today and I feel good and I'm not going to drink this weekend and I'm going to try and eat healthy food and to think healthy thoughts and to uh, minimize my risk of getting um, other related illnesses. And I'm going to make an appointment to go and get my flu um, uh, vaccination. So thank you very much. Take care. It's good to see you. Thank you for joining me. Have a brilliant weekend and I'll see you soon. Take care. Bye.